Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Tonight, I'm joined by freelance writer, Sin Vega. Sin, welcome to the show. Hi. Uh, so, tonight we're going to be talking about Torpor Games' uh, Su- Suzerain, which is a political, visual novel, but also, I would argue, a strategy game, but it's a lot of things. It's a bit hard to sort out. Uh, Sin, you are a self-described curator of the weird. I am curious what grabbed your attention about Suzerain, and is it sufficiently weird uh, for your purposes? I Yeah, I think it absolutely is, first of all. And when I say weird, I don't necessarily mean uh, just bizarre just mean unusual in the case of Suzerain, because in a lot of ways it's quite conventional. You, When you see Suzerain and you kind of look around at screenshots or just play it for a minute or two, you've probably got roughly a good idea of what you're getting, like a quite serious, in-depth political simulator, which it is, but it's also unlike most other political simulators. And the main reason for that, I'm sure we can talk about lots of reasons it's interesting and unusual, but the main reason is that it goes all in on narrative in a way that most political simulators don't. So, like, Rob, you're absolutely right. You say it's a strategy game, it's a bit of a sim, and it's narrative. You could argue it's a bit of a role-playing game as well. And that, in that sense, it's definitely weird. It's an outlier of its genre, whatever genre you categorise it into. Yeah, I- this is definitely a case where, um, you know, people who are listening will probably quickly grok that I am not uh, super familiar with a ton of visual novels. Uh, like the probably the only other other one that's clicked with me a ton is Eliza, uh, mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite games of all time. Same. Um, <laughs> Sin, I think you're you're with me on that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, in both cases, I adore Eliza, uh, but yeah, I think. There are definitely elements of visual novel. It follows somewhere between visual novel and choose your own adventure is its narrative style. But there's a well, you, I'd like to hear why you would describe it as that actually, because I think I'm not going to argue with you about it, but I think it's a bit of a grey area. Yeah, that's true, and I suppose I'm I'm probably conflating choose your own adventure a little bit with uh, visual novel here, but I think the the phrase novel comes to mind in part because this is a big game bigger mm-hmm. than I think it first appears. Like uh, I think my first playthrough took me something on the order of like 12 hours um, because there is a ton of table setting that this game does. And then basically it feels like you have lived through the entire first administration of mm-hmm. a really troubled presidency in a uh, developing in, contested nation and so i think in some ways i think it's a visual novel just from the sheer scale it seems less interested in having you re-rack the same scenario again and again and again and more having a sort of sweeping epic story told through your playthrough whatever that might be yeah absolutely um i will do no counts there really i think um in particular I mean, we'll probably get to this in a bit, but when you compare it to other political simulators, it's not only longer, well, longer is the wrong word, it's not only kind of bigger, it's, it feels a bit more singular. Like, it's not really a game most players will bring every single possibility out of the way you might a political sim, or even a visual novel. 
it's more likely to be a game you will play, I'd say, one to three times. And probably one of those times will really stick with you because something about that run, most likely the first, will just really, you just get reinvested in it in a way that's very unusual in Punishable Sims. And the degree of control you have over the outcome, I think, makes it feel a bit easier to get hooked into than a lot of visual novels, too, which are generally a bit more um, statics, perhaps the wrong word, but a bit less involving. Yeah, I think static might not be entirely uh, like wrong. Uh, yeah, because it is. <laughs> this is a very responsive game, whereas I think a lot of visual novels, it's like you are advancing through a story. You might have a few fork mm. in the road decisions, but this has a lot of uh, fairly granular uh, decisions. And like it, a lot of them, it was cool how often. I don't know if the broad stro- strokes of some of the branches you can take. Uh, change particularly based on the smaller decisions you make, but I was surprised how often a small decision on the margins did pop up and at least influence the description uh, of a moment or an event. So like everything in this game feels like uh, I think sometimes with choose your own adventure style games, it can be very obvious the places Mm -hmm. where the game is kind of set up to ignore whatever choice you made and just advance, assuming that either one will work. This feels very much like a game where, uh, the game will reflect even minor decisions uh, and try to acknowledge that you made it, which I do appreciate because I don't think it's necessarily a mark of like, I don't think it's make or break in terms of a mark of quality. Um, but I will say that in a narrative game, when I start to feel like it's playing a bit of a shell game with choice where it is trying to, make it so that you have a button to press that feels like a choice, but the game doesn't need to be cognizant of that choice or acknowledge it. Ooh, it, yeah. it makes me trust it just a little bit less um, mm-hmm. because then it's like, okay, so the story isn't really mine. It's just meant to feel like mine. I think Suzeran mm-hmm. does a surprisingly good job of uh, even in small moments being like, yeah, I see, I see how you wanted to express that moment and then move on from there. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And the interesting thing about that, because I feel like Suzerain does have, I think overall, a kind of four, a handful of their kind of plot beats that will happen regardless and how you react to them is what determines how the rest of the game plays out. But it's not, as is in the case with a lot of visual novels, it's not, it's, it's less binary in a lot of those games. And it's also true in a lot of RPGs actually, where we have a decision to make. It's kind of not only signposted, but it feels a bit like, are you going to go with this route or with that route? And that determines what kind of playthrough you're having. Whereas with Suzerain, the way it presented itself, for lots of different reasons, it I engaged with it in a kind of in-character way. Like I wasn't thinking, okay, which of these decisions is the game going to, A, give me consequences for, and B, give me the consequences I want. I wasn't playing it in the same way I might play a visual novel, where someone asks you a question, say, like, do you forgive this person, A, yes or no? And whether or not you forgive them determines how that plot will go. With Suzerain, because there is some degree of simulation of its politics, it feels more like this decision is a factor. It's not the decision, but it will influence things. And so there's some of your decisions will make a difference rather than this specific key moment in the plot. And you're absolutely right that in, it's the small decisions and the small moments 
that often feel like they feed back into the big ones. And I've got a, a good example of that. I think we can come back to that a bit later, but about how suzerain also makes me, well, I felt like I was making decisions not based on gaming the system, but based on my opinion and relationships with the other characters, which is really unusual in a political game. In a, in a political scene, it's practically unheard of. Yeah, I um, I think it also gave this game such a... I don't know if ominous... I, for a lot of the game, it definitely felt ominous uh, because mm. I think decisions felt... Uh, they started to take on a momentum of their own yeah. where uh, they were adding up and they were adding up in ways that sometimes I intended, but in other ways very much not. And as the game entered its third act, uh, there were a lot of relationships or situations where I found myself very uneasy because I had kind of boxed myself in. And now I was dealing with consequences from those decisions. And uh, there were no very easy like levers I could throw to say, well, now I'm going to neatly escape this trap mm -hmm. um, because unfortunately, like the the decision I was faced or the problem I was faced with, um, I had built that, I, I I had created that problem for myself ages ago mm -hmm. and I'd done it a dozen times without really realizing. And by the time I realized there was a problem, it was just too late to say, ah, but I would yeah. rather, I don't want to alienate this group. Um, but, you know, often the, the ship had sailed. But I think first, let me, just do a little bit of table setting for people who have not played the game, uh, although yes. you very much should. Um, Suzerain, God, I think there's so much that's smart about this game. Like, first of all, okay, so we've been talking about choosing your own adventure, uh, visual novel, as, like, as a descriptor for this game, but it doesn't look like one. In terms of the way it presents itself, it looks a lot like a traditional strategy game. And in fact, its color scheme is very, like, mid-century uh, map on an elementary school wall in some ways. It looks like historical atlases uh, look. And there's a lot of like information tabs. There's all the stuff you'd expect from a Paradox game or an RTS in terms of like resources. There's character portraits. But fundamentally, a lot of the stuff you'll realize is to an extent decorative. Um, that's not really where you're playing the game. It is there to give you a sense of what the geography of this world looks like. The game itself is being played through text boxes uh, where descriptions, uh, pretty well-written ones, uh, descriptions of key moments, um, descriptions of characters unfold, and then you will have multi, uh, multiple choice options for, uh, for what you want to do in that moment. But before you get into any of that, when you click new game, you sort of roll your character uh, through a series of rapid fire multiple choice uh, sections where you describe you sort of bring your character of Anton Rain um, from his childhood in the country of Sordland uh, to his ascension to presidency at a very fraught moment. And right like from its opening moments, you start to realize how starkly different things can be uh, for, for who Anton Rain is. So like, for instance, you have the option of being born to a wealthy uh privileged family in the capital. You have the option to be a middle-class family in an unfashionable, um, like second city, or you can be growing up an impoverished family in the country's rural backwater. 
And likewise, as history advances, you can, for instance, uh, a major decision that has ramifications later in the story. Um, at some point, Anton Rain will be conscripted into military service and will be dealing with refugees uh, pouring across the border into Sordland. And here you have a, the option of forcing these people back across the border into a country that is currently also undergoing its own brutal civil war. Um, or you can defy orders and let them through and let them resettle uh, in Swordland. And there's no third option. There's no clever like Kobayashi. There, you know, there's no solution to this Kobayashi Maru. You, you're either going to be a person who sent these refugees back to possibly their deaths um, and, you know, just followed orders, or you're going to be someone who put common humanity above orders. Um, and there's no, there's, there's no way to serve both those masters uh, in there. And so that's, there's also sort of a taste of what you're going to get with this game, but either way, once you've made all those choices about who Anton Rain is, um, you arrive at the present where you have ascended to the presidency of a unity government. But Sin, I got to tell you, like one of the things that's going to be tricky about explaining this game is there is a huge amount of lore. The political history of Swordland before you make a choice is enormous. Yeah, but the, the amount of backstory is huge. But um, that's another thing I think that's interesting about it. When you first start it up, yeah, it looks like a strategy game. And it looks, and the more you poke around, chances are the more overwhelming it will look. Certainly, I think if you went in trying to fully understand the world, the characters, and everything before you made decisions, you would be lost. You'd probably just get sick of reading before you got anywhere, unless you're really, really into your fictional histories, or not even really the real world, because all of the nations are. And even the, even the kind of nations that obviously stand in for the USA or the USSR, even they are, have different names and aren't exactly the same as they are in the real world. You can't understand all of that. And yet, even before the game really starts, in that intro you talked about, you're asked to make decisions. And that's, that's interesting because it gives you those decisions to make before it gives you all of that, that backstory and all that world history. And I think that's a really smart bit of design because if they'd thrown you into the map and then asked you to make these decisions, you'd probably think, I don't have the context for this. Instead, those initial decisions are so broad, they're stripped of any context beyond like universal human context of class and mercy and wealth and revolution. And yet you make those decisions and you get those decisions and then you get the context. And funny enough, as the game goes on, not only do those decisions that you made in the intro have some consequences, but they also they become more significant because of what you learn later, and which is a really strange and interesting trick to pull off. So how significant is it that you were, let's say you were merciful to the, the refugees? Well, you're going to later meet the leader of the country that they were fleeing from. How are you going to interact with that person? Will that somehow your decision making even if they don't know about it they probably won't you're just a, like a low-ranking officer or but yeah it, it gets you invested and it makes you it kind of gets you to make decisions and then kind of dares you to stick by them as the game goes on and that sort of challenges you i think to i think well, personally it may 
me feel some pressure, well, not pressure, but some inclination even to be consistent because you have built this character, even though it was only, you know, a dozen or so decisions and yet you're now the president, presumably based on your behaviour in the past. So you kind of owe it to your people having elected you to to do things that are consistent with your past, with your decisions and your principles. Yeah, I think it's an... The game puts you in an interesting position because by the time you've created your character, yeah, Anton Rain has a record uh, and has some values and principles. What I find so funny is that your political position is that of a blank slate because you were part of this um, unity party that won this massive election that stands for absolutely nothing. Yes. Uh, your your party is a vaguely nationalist, um, vaguely liberal in the like traditional sense, um, or I guess the... Uh, like economically liberal, right? Yeah, the, like the, yeah, classically sort of semi semi for uh, privatization, uh, but also a little like just nationalist enough that it wants to provide services. But yeah, this the party has this massive majority um, and could go in any direction, but at present kind of is this blank slate that it is on you to kind of shape. Um, but what that also means is that really quickly you will start to realize that every decision you make, um, will start chipping at your position within mm. that party. Um, yeah, you mentioned earlier that there's an ominous feeling to it and that comes from a lot of places. One of those places is since that the party you're in one way or another, people within it are going to be dissatisfied with you because because it's so, I'm going to say centrist, but it's not even centrist so much as, like you said, it's kind of neutral almost. And there's there's that, but there's also there's the feeling that the only thing that you've really been elected, the only explicit thing that people wanted from this government was something has to change, you know, and it's most likely, most people seem to want to change to the constitution. That's the big one. But there's also, you know, people want, no more civil war they want a better government they want they just generally want change they want better things and it's kind of down to you to say what does that mean and what can i do about it and that's it's a strange the more you i mean when when you play a second time i think you see that all the more that yeah i was elected based on not very much i was just kind of there but it, it pulls that off and yet also lets you feel like this is your chance. This is this isn't a fake game setup. This is something that plausibly happened. This party got into power because it was a viable party after twenty years of dictatorship. People just said, "Yeah, this this party will change things." Vote for it, and now here you are. What are you going to do? So, kind yeah, of like, its cake leads it, which is strange and impressive. Yeah, and it's. Very resonant of I th I think there this game can be tricky to map the analogs because there's so many things that it is potentially analogous to like mm -hmm. the history of Swordland uh, is the history of it's an amalgamation of a lot of uh, like 
not quite great powers, but like there's elements of uh, like the Spanish experience uh, with the rise of Franco. I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of resonance to the experience of Yugoslavia. Yes. Uh, in this game, uh, the yes. fact that. Sorry. Yeah, but I, I was just going to say, like, the fact that in the background of this nation, there's kind of three traumatic events that your party was kind of elected to prevent from reoccurring. And they're three really distinctive um, and usually mutually uh, exclusive uh, historical traumas. But you have, there was the rise of a fascist government that was crushed by a statist military dictatorship. Uh, so you had a military fascist government. It is overtaken by a more collectivist statist uh, military, still authoritarian but not quite as outright fascist government. This is the Tarquin soul mm. uh, government that basically ruled. He's sort of the, the Franco of this character or the, or the Taito of this, of this uh, country of Swordland who ruled for, you know, 20 years. Um, there was stability, but overall the country was also a bit uh, economically and politically stagnant. And then he is ousted. Uh, and a reformist government sweeps in and they are a very, uh, what, you know, a bit of a disaster capitalism um, reformist government that is trying to rapidly privatize uh, this deeply statist uh, bureaucracy. And it immediately falls apart because, well, that's contentious, right? There are some people who think, well, these privatization initiatives were misguided on their face uh the reformers uh say that they weren't even given a chance to work uh that the sabotage was was the fix was in from the start but either way that government fell and you're kind of positioned as the last chance maybe for a functional democracy like your party was elected on don't let us go back to fascism don't go all the way back to seoul don't throw people to the tender mercies of market capitalism. Yes. Please do something. <laughs> yeah. The funny thing is, yeah, it, and again, it does sort of make sense as to why the people of Swordland apparently just threw everything into this like middle ground party. It, it's because they sort of tried everything and it went disastrously. So they're just like, yeah, you have a go. So do you think that the, you know, the, failed not outright capitalism but like the opening it up to the markets that let's push towards the usa let's push towards free trade let's push towards privatization did they fall to corruption did they just not get a chance was it too or were they were they misguided were they innately corrupt but um it's You've brought up a few interesting things. I want to kind of go back to one of the things I think that is the most impressive about it is the fact that like you mentioned like this, that Swordland, the nation you play, is, is a bit, arguably a bit like Spain. And I've seen people say, no, it's, it's clearly Turkey or it might be Yugoslavia. Some people say, well, it could be Iran. It's got a lot of um, parallels to Iran, especially the neighbor, the neighboring state, which is Svalin. The, the dictator of that nation has a lot in common with Saddam Hussein, and yet the more you read about it, the more different, different players all have a different read on it. And I think that's fascinating because it characterizes each nation in the game has a strong character that, as you play, 
come to identify it with certain real world nations. But which nations you pick depends on your own experiences, your own understanding and interpretation of history. And I think that's fascinating because it would have been so easy to just carbon copy each nation or just copy a whole region. But it seems like the devs have just taken a whole, like two thirds of the world, looked at all the different regional Cold War conflicts and brewed an original region based on those concepts and dynamics. And I think that's really, I think that's fascinating. And it means that you're, you're not playing real history. You're not saying, well, I think Spain would have been fine if they just like thrown out Franco right away. You're playing it as an original nation. You're playing it on its own terms. And that's another reason it gets so invested in it. Yeah, and I think it allows it to start playing with things that are extremely fraught mm. in historical strategy games. Swordland is a nation with, uh, you know, real nightmares in its mm. past. Mm. Um, and some that continue to this day. This entire region is, uh, there's a lot of legacy of conflict in this region. Um, but one of the major issues that Sorlon faces uh, is that it has a massive, uh, like, religious and cultural uh, minority that is... Uh, Bloodish people. Yeah, the, the, the Bloodish. And it's it's hard to say, like, are they, they're a major part of this country and yet they are also other uh, within this country. Mm, and they- it's not even, it avoids easy answers uh, from the standpoint of, okay, well, uh, prejudice and creating like ethnic subs, like subdivisions in a country is always bad. Except you're also confronted with the fact that in this game, a lot of Bluish people don't really want to be integrated with Swordland. They want, uh, like they want Bloods to have their own country. Mm. And that is also something you have to wrestle with. Uh, mm. One of the real uh, thorny knots that I didn't solve uh, in my playthrough was I kept trying to bring the Bloodish parties uh, into the mainstream, but they kept mm. dividing their damn vote. Yes. And that's an interesting thing because as pretty much as you start, there's the Bloodish party have recently got into, like a, a, got seats in parliament. But the government before you has like has changed the rules so that no no you need to get ten percent of the vote in order to be eligible. So it's obviously been designed. Several characters remark that this has been designed to keep the bloodish out of government. And the bloods the bloods bloodish it seems to be interchangeable. Certainly seem to think so. And it really you. I want to say it's obvious that the game wants you to think that, but that's my interpretation. Certainly, I felt like, or well, this is a cynical, I don't know if gerrymandering is quite the right word, but it's akin to gerrymandering. It's obviously a move to exclude the British. And yet, that's where you start. You're representing this government. So already, the British people, already probably inclined not to trust the government of Sordland, have reason not to trust you specifically. So can you, and by attempting to win them over, you will probably antagonize your own people because you've got to deal with the fact that your own people, a lot of them are pretty um, aggressive by modern standards. And they have a, you're going to have a large part of your population that, and a large part of your government. Um, and by government, I mean the whole government apparatus, not just your um, party. But you're going to have a long sentence. You're going to get opposition, basically, no matter what you do. 
And it's a question of, do I go well in on helping the British? Can I? Will they even accept my help? And if I do, will it cost me everything else? Or do you have to compromise? That's one, that whole dynamic is just central to all politics throughout all human history. Do you go all in on something or do you go all in on the opposite? Or do you compromise? Or by compromising, do you dismiss everything? And the whole game plays with that and it, everyone's tempting you to fare the extreme position. And I feel like the average player is probably inclined to be quite um, relatively left-wing by the standards of left-wing is probably the wrong word, but relatively progressive. You know, you're probably going to be inclined to say, let's give the bloodish better representation. They won the vote, they're entitled to representation. You're probably going to support women's rights to some degree versus an openly patriarchal society. You're probably not going to go full fascist other than as an experiment. And, I, and yet, that's an extreme position by Swordland standards. Like a modern liberal democracy is a huge radical shift from what Swordland is in the, was it, I can't remember what year you started, but in the Cold War, essentially. Yeah, this you is... do, you just can't win, basically, which is accurate as politics. Yeah, I think one of the strategies I took uh, as I sort of got my bearings within this game, uh, probably my first few hours with the game, I was just delving deep into the codex in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, at Like in every scene, uh, things are hyperlinked, characters are hyperlinked, and you can read their biographies, their backgrounds. And it's incredible. It's a, it's a trove of lore about mm-hmm. this game. Like there's no character that does not have a past that is deeply connected in their mm, own mm. way yes, that to the history the, that you like all, all the fictional organizations just stuff like stuff you never interact with but if you click on your one of your ministers or a random journalist who happens to ask you a question you'll read where they studied you'll read an organization they were involved with in their, their early 30s and it's like it all seems very plausible even though it's all completely fictional well and i think it made me more sympathetic to everyone in the game that like everybody most everyone you meet is on the level they tend to be good faith actors and their worldview is shaped by actual experiences that happened right like the military personnel you run into who lived through both the civil war and through their mixed experiment in running the country under Seoul. Uh, and dealing with the crises on, on the border that has shaped them in some profound ways. And you can say, well, they're just being uh, retrograde assholes. And they, like I did end up kind of inevitably alienating them, but I felt bad when I did it because like genuinely, it seemed like the um, secretary of defense you work with the most uh, Lancia genuinely seems like he's trying his best, even though he doesn't totally understand the program you're running. Um, yes. But yeah. after a point, he can't be made to understand. That's I. I loved him, General Lance. In I feel like it does. Has, um, Susan does things that a lesser game. I want to say lesser. A lot of games would fall into the trap of making things a bit more simplistic. Like Lance is a great example. The ob- the obvious third. I think I think a lot of devs would have done, and I probably I might have done this myself. Was make the general hardcore militarist and a really really strongly right wing and really 
stubborn and um, extremist and a little bit just that less of a character, more of a caricature. Mm-hmm. Whereas Lancia does come across, like you said, like a good faith. He really does genuinely seem to want to be protecting Swordland. He, I don't think he's paranoid. You, you would be easy to take him, make him like some someone who just wants a massive army no matter what, and he's imagining that the neighbors are going to attack. But signs, the signs he gives you are really strong. His opinions he backs with reasonable lines of thought, and I ended up. But he came to me with proposals, and I, more often than not, I turned him down. And he was actually the source of one of my compromises, because one of the decisions you have to make is there's an organization in the government called the, I can pronounce this wrong, the Gendarmerie, who are yep. a kind of essentially riot police. They're kind of a second police force, and they're under direct military control. Now, arguably, that's a bad thing. Certainly, it's something you need to address, you need to decide. Do the military retain control of that, or should they be transferred to the Ministry of the Interior? And I had an opinion about that. I wanted to transfer them to the Interior. But when it came to making that decision, I didn't trust the person that Lancey was arguing with, and I did trust him. Even though he disagreed with me about almost everything, I trusted him because I thought he was trying to do the right thing. And I... That turned out to be one of the best decisions I made in the entire game because it was completely on the money for what I was trying to do. And I also did it because I felt like I was at the point where I turned him down so often that if I had turned him down again, it would have been the last straw. So it was like, I want to throw him a bone because I think if I don't, I'll regret it. But also because I trust him more than the other person. And for a political game to come down to... I just plain didn't trust that person as much as the other one. It's fantastic. But yeah, like, that's true with most characters you meet. And when someone is obviously shady, like there's a couple of people, when they're corrupt, they tend to be openly corrupt about it. But that actually brings me to something that's extremely spoilery. And we'll probably talk about a lot in a bit. But I came across a few subplots that some players are not even aware of. And that probably means that I missed some. So I'm curious if there's some stuff that you discovered that you think you would have missed entirely if you'd made different decisions. Boy, uh, I don't... My suspicion is I took a pretty uh, mainstream play through the game. I think um, we're going to have to talk about Petter at some point. Um, Oh, yes. And because I, I do think... Um, there's a lot around that character that I can go in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've suspected there might even be an option where you can be kind of a uh, personally a uh, little bit more of a venal uh, philandering husband, possibly. Um, mm-hmm. I'm curious what would happen if I went that route because, like, one of the real tensions in this game is can you keep your family uh, mm-hmm. reasonably together under the pressure of all this? But there's a few options where, like, if you it seems like the game is inviting, you know, Hey, do you want to take advantage of the power and privilege of this position? And, uh, I didn't go, go that route. Uh, but there is a character that I think in the, in, in espionage novel parlance is possibly a, uh, honey trap. Um, and I didn't take that bait, but, Turns out Petter did, and then eventually I uncovered evidence that suggests that it might have been tied to much more than a personal scandal, but like international uh, intrigue. Did you make a phone call? 
a significant yes. phone call. Ah, okay. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm trying to avoid that because by this point in the game, I think probably about two thirds in, there's, there is a moment potentially of betrayal because I really got on well with one character and the betrayal I felt was, <laughs> I genuinely felt like I'm, I mean, politically, this is a disaster. I'm actually upset with this person. They let me down. They really let me down. And that's, that's, that was great. I love that. Um, and Petter is one of the, um, we say, actors in that too. Well, yeah, so let's, let's talk a little bit about this too. Because in addition to the way the game is going to work in terms of your decisions as president, one, I think quite accurately, the game realizes as president, there's never a build infrastructure button you yeah. hit. Um, you have to figure out like how, like what infrastructure do we build? We don't have money to build much of it. Who are we going to let it let build uh, said infrastructure? And so everything unfolds, of course, across meetings and it is a place to spend or gain political capital. Uh, and so like, I think the first decision I made uh, being a good uh, left-leaning person, I was like, you know what this country needs? A railroad. I'm going to build a railroad. Um, and so there's like an entire thing where people are like, well, which, which of the major contractors do we want to build this railroad? And then you get some pressure from business interests uh, to say, well, let, let our people uh, mm. build the railroad. And I think my approach to a lot of this was I always took the meeting. Um, I always tried to sort of off balance the plutocrats by like, I always was like, yeah, no, that sounds great. I would love to do business with the arch capitalists of this country. And then when the decision came down, I would basically just, totally screw those people at every turn uh, where it was like i would have one meeting where it's like yes you will definitely get the contract next meeting fuck those guys um, See, I, I was unfailingly polite but i was also firm when i was like no that's not going to happen have a nice day i drew a few hard lines where it was getting too overtly corrupt but in general i was like yeah i think we could do business if you know what i mean if by doing business you mean no business at all uh oh but, there's there's one conversation where you can and i, I was i shouldn't have done it but i was actually it's probably the, the most dastardly i got um again try not to spoil things you can string someone along you can make them think, and it may what happened in other scenes, but I didn't go for it. You can make them think, yes, I'm one of you. And you can just string them along along until the very last minute and they go, no, no, no. Now that I've got all your information, you can get the hell out. <laughs> it was fantastic. Oh, that's incredible. It was. I yeah. felt really pleased with myself. I even felt a little bit guilty because like, I did abuse this guy's trust. But on the other hand, fuck him. He deserves it. <laughs> It's like it's, that was the most underhanded my reign got, but yeah, sorry, I interrupted you. No, there's there's a lot of people where like I felt a little bit bad. Like mm. uh there are a lot of places where my hands had to get a little bit dirty. And I think one of the other things that unfolds in this game is that the personal is political. Mm -hmm. Uh you're doing things through ministers who have their own perspective. And uh let me tell you about my son, Simon Hall. <laughs> um I felt so bad because Simon Hall is probably your most important advisor. He's your like secretary of treasury, basically, or mm. uh, chancellor of the uh, exchequer. I don't know. I can um, picture his slightly disapproving, long-suffering face under my regime. 
and this is the thing like simon there are two things to know about simon one once in a generation economic mind two (laughs) definitely a liberal who wants to privatize this economy Mm -hmm. and run it according to like maximal ricardian efficiency I guess here's the third thing you should know. Simon is a good soldier and will do what you tell him. This is, I love this. Would you say he's your favorite? Oh my God. Yes. See, yes. I, when, Simon, when Simon broke up with me, I was like, What? Was you lost Simon. Oh, you're doomed. <laughs> Simon was like my, oh, what would you call him? My workhorse down in the, the money mines. He, yeah, he wasn't my favorite because my favorite was Lucian, the press secretary. I had nothing in common with Lucian. My reign has nothing in common with him, but I adore him. He was, and I, I remember saying to Alice Bell, who I was chatting to about it, oh, yes, I said, I cannot believe this game made me consider a fictional press secretary a badass. He was just an absolute yes. champ. And I ended up like not rewarding him properly. Because well, I had to co- I had to give that presidency to somebody else. I had to not reward him because, and the irony is, I gave it to somebody else because politically it was the better decision, and oh, Lucian yeah. would understand that. And I feel so terrible and so amazing for it. But Simon, yeah, I didn't lose him, but um, I could have. Like my economy was in not in tatters. I I kept it from the brink, but it was bad. Like my. If I'd got a second term, like you don't, you play, you finish at the end of the term regardless. If I'd got a second term, I would 100% be like, economy, economy, economy. We've got to get the money in. We've got to get unemployment down, inflation, all that cack. But yeah, Simon was so unsung in my cabinet. I I recognised the amazing things he did, but I didn't love him the way I love Lucian. Yeah, see, I did because Simon kept being like, I don't think we should do this. You know, what we need <laughs> is to privatize the sector well, and get some well, other firms. I don't firms. think this is a good idea, boss. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's great, Simon. Uh, tell you what, why don't you go to the <laughs> money tree, shake it some more, and then pay for these goddamn social programs? He's a good lad. He's a good lad. So, he, yeah. Yeah. So, like, by the end, I, well, here's the other thing. I kept sort of being like, no, no, I'm totally open to liberalizing the economy. Yeah, no, we should. Yeah, I'm not. I wouldn't say like I think uh, state-run enterprises is the solution to everything. It just it's just shaking out that it's my solution to everything. <laughs> but like that's not an ideological position. It's that's... just that. And Simon eventually, by the end, was like, "I can't. I hate what you've done to this economy. Like yeah. you've this has turned into a communist power." And I was like, "Yeah, I guess it is. I, I can see where it is your time to get off the boat, but." Uh, Thank you for your hard work. Yeah, like I, he made it work. Yeah, I lost someone towards the end, and I was like, "I'm genuinely sad, but I do understand." It's like, I, and yeah, again, I was invested, and not on a personal level, like, on a like political level, I was like, "Mate, fucking hell, you did sterling work. Thank you." But also on a personal level, you stuck by me through all my bullshit, all of my bullshit, and I know you thought it was bullshit, but you were a hero. You didn't. I mean, he didn't complain. You weren't a yes man. You objected, and I respect you for that. But I love it. But um, yeah, and that's another thing. Like, if I could compare it to any game, excuse me, the most direct analog is definitely Hidden Agenda, which has basically the same premise. This really odd game from the eighties, but in that game, the whole the whole point of it and the title Hidden Agenda, the whole point of the game is that you the ministers you appoint have their own agendas, and if and they will. 
they will work against your interests and they can potentially um, like attempt a coup against you. But in Suzerain, most of your close advisors, they are they are solid. They are good lads and ladies. But um yeah, I'm danger of spoiling a bit there. <laughs> yeah, it's um I think the one thing that helps us with spoilers is that there's so much in this game mm. uh, that is going on at all times uh, that, um, y- you know, there's th- the plot threads go many, so many places. Um, one of the subplots you're dealing with is that it's doing the, um, the West wing thing of you have a challenging home life as well. Yes. Um, and I was not sure how that would pan out as a dynamic in the game, but I think it does a decent job of like capturing the profound awkwardness of the fact that, well, there's a couple things. One, you have a son who is entering some important years of Mm -hmm. his life. Um, He is like maximal teenage awkwardness (laughs) and really just needs a parent around to be supportive and help guide them but you're busy trying to prevent this country from sliding into civil war. Yeah, I like that he wasn't... He could have been overly melodramatic. I mean, even... Okay, a teenager in his situation would have every right to be melodramatic, but I feel like he was written with some subtlety, like more than... But they, they did that whole that whole dynamic you're talking about. Like, you know, dad is at work running the country and, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm suffering for that. But I think they did it in a way that felt really believable. Like he wasn't, he wasn't, he didn't hate you, hate you. He had issues with you, and probably more so if you treat him poorly. But or I say treat him poorly, treat him less um, softly than I did. But um, I do feel like they kind of had that. I feel like they played that subplot well. Basically, they gave him the believable character arc without overdoing it. Yeah, um, and I, I think the thing that helps is like. It's not like every interaction turns into a, I just want you to be around more. Yes, like, why yeah. can't you be my dad more? He gets it. Like, your son, Frank, understands mm-hmm. that there's moments where you just may not be available. It's more that he knows, like, it, it captures the way that, like, your kid didn't understand you, but also resent the shit out of you no matter what. Yes, those feelings are valid, and, and I recognize them, and I'm here to help. And yet, I can't. Like, I, I can't. That's, that's life. And that's a hard hard thing for him to go through like yeah that's that's the other thing you can you can't solve it like you can come out of it i think probably salvage a decent relationship with him out of it but you can't say the magic words that make it all go away you can't have like all these hallmark moments like you said even if you say everything right and you do as much as you can and make even if you make what are probably the best decisions for him it still doesn't doesn't make his problems go away. It doesn't mean he's that you're there. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have any issues. And the big thing with him, which I think is inevitable, is that in my game anyway, he did he did really badly in school. Like I think he essentially oh, yeah. failed. And okay, this is this is a political crisis, and it's a family crisis, and that was that's another real thing that happens, you know, today, even with like random ministers. Never mind presidents. Yeah, it's right there. You're not going to get to a solution where it's like you pass the child, the child rearing test where it's like, yes. yep, Frank is going to be a good, successful student and young man. You've got a like, hundred relations. <laughs> yeah, my 
Yeah, it was it was real rubber meets the road time when <laughs> Frank failed yes. like his entrance exams to the major university in the country. Mm-hmm. And there's a real like moment where everyone realizes that as president, you could just you could just solve this. Yeah. You could just be like, hey, this, my son gets in and your wife kind of wants you to do yes, it. She's yeah. like, you can say you can save this, right? Yeah. And she's she's normally quite. um I mean, she's very progressive for her age. She's normally a bit more like you think. Well, again, it probably depends on how you act, but I feel like she would not approve of that kind of corruption. And yet, when it comes to actually having it in front of you, she's looking at that, that, that's just that little nudge on the table. She's looking at it. She's thinking, you know, it's not that big a deal, really. And that's like, it's. I think it, it, it's really resonant that no matter where you are, like it doesn't matter if there's like higher education is, is widely available in the United States, but elite education is not right. And I think that's true of a lot of places where like getting into a finishing school or, or a college, that is one thing getting into the university or two that exist um, that pr- like, offer you a fast track into like power and security. That's quite another matter. And so when your wife is facing that, where it's like, this might not be open to Frank. And then he just goes where normal people might go that fear. She's like, no, we can, we can prevent that. Let's prevent it. Uh, My solution there was no, the comrades will educate (laughs) my son. Yes. I was, my reign was not a hypocrite. Like above all, even when it stung, he was not a hypocrite, and he could not, he could not press that corruption button. And yet, you think it's easy for me to? Why? Well, actually, it wasn't that easy. But making that decision is all well and good. And yet, putting yourself in that situation, think, okay, it's great to have that principle, like it genuinely is. And yet, think about that boy will live with that for the rest of his life. And no matter what happens, there's like a very high likelihood he will always think that you know, my dad could have sent me he could have set me up but he didn't i was a child and i did badly in school and he he just he just sent me off the boot camp that's what he did and that's that's a hard thing to live with your principles are all well and good but like that's your son you know and i didn't even have a kid imagine if you have a kid that would be a difficult moment yeah i definitely i think i identify more with frank in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. where it was like it was very similar. It was like, yeah, okay, I fucked up in school a lot, and I didn't know why until yeah. years and years later. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, and it's hard. I wish my parents had not made the choices they did, but I understand yeah. it. And it's it's hard. I mean, it's hard anyway for a kid who's what is he fifteen or something. But that's it's it's a it's a bullshit system that any country has that your life can be messed up by yeah. some screwing up some exams when you're a teenager it's not a it's major a part of your life's potential will when, be fixed yeah. before you're 18 when you, and the thing is when you're born into it like a, a when you he's born into a, a political family he was born I mean, he's the son his dad becomes president and you think imagine growing up thinking my dad was the president and he changed this country he passed that like century defining legislation and yet he wouldn't send me to fucking school what a what a scumbag <laughs> Yeah. Uh, instead, I had to go to like communist engineering, uh, you know, program 
behind the Iron Curtain. Uh, the other thing is that the character of your wife, I think, is uh, interesting, too, because, like, what's interesting there is she is also a would have been maybe a like high flying careerist if she hadn't become a political wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and where it began to get real awkward for me is like midway through the fucking game. <laughs> she's like, I'm going to become politically active. My <laughs> issue is uh, not suffrage. Cause I think women, no, actually it is your, yeah, your country yeah. is so far. Your country doesn't have universal suffrage. Yes. Yeah. This is the thing again. It's like, this is an old nation. This is a even by the standards of its time, it's it's not super um, regressive, but it's like it's got some catching up to do with most of the most of the world. But yeah, yeah, and so, but it was like it was so cool the way like your wife is doing something unambiguously correct, right? Mm-hmm. Where she's like, I think women should maybe have the option to have careers and vote in the political life of their nation. But in the context of the game, I was also like, yeah, that's great, honey, but not right now. Yes. <laughs> so much the game is like that. And that's like we talked earlier about like, the, the sense of doom. I think what the game does incredibly well is foreshadowing. But it, one of the things it foreshadows is issues like this. Early on in the game, or throughout the game, but starting very early, you get news reports and interior reports, things that hint at issues that you're like, oh, okay, this could become a thing. I want to keep an eye on this. I'd like to do something about that. And women's suffrage is one of them. But so many of these things, the whole game, you're thinking, I want to do something about this. And yet when the opportunity finally comes, you think, ah, can you come back in six months? <laughs> it's just the timing yeah. Things happen when they happen, and it's like that's the reality of politics. That's reflected quite well in the game, where it's like, oh, this is this is harsh. It never, but it seldom gives you something really artificial, like, oh look, there's um there's a nuclear bomb in the capital, but also there's a flood. Which do you deal with? It, but it does give you those moments of this is a crisis, and it, you deal with it now or never. But then. When it comes, you might be thinking, ah, but if I deal with it now, then I can't I can't do the thing I want to do with the hospital. And you've got to make that decision. I love it. It was great. Yeah, it- I think um, the two political crises that are backgrounding this game is that, you know, at the start we were talking about, you're this unify, you're this unity government for a country that's completely uh, sclerotic. It's a bit of a basket mm-hmm. case. And one of the things that's set up for you at the start is um, this country has a dysfunctional constitution that is basically designed to protect a military dictatorship that is now gone. Mm. Um, And so there's like this rear guard uh, reactionary force that's still there and still has legal authority. It is so wild. Um, But I found it resonant considering where American politics are around things like the filibuster Mm. and uh, the way the judiciary is packed right now. But like, the the Supreme Court in this country um, has the power not just to veto legislation, but just rewrite it. Yes, they can just be like, ah, that doesn't seem that doesn't seem like a legal law. We're just going to say it, make it say something else, regardless of what the president and the legislature chose, and they can just do that. And so the first the first half of the game, I would say, is trying to set up a way to reform a system that desperately does not want to be re- reformed, mm-hmm. and can block its own reformation. Yes, that's and the second half, I think, is a foreign policy crisis. Mm-hmm. 
this is the thing like that's yeah that's that's the really the one thing that everyone kind of i mean i certainly forgot the electorate although you don't really deal with the electorate directly much i certainly think that the one thing everyone agrees on is that the constitution has to change and yet the faction that says no it doesn't is the one that has so much influence in all the key places and it's that is what you've got to overcome isn't it? how do you do that and Probably the easiest way is to just join them, is just to become the next dictator. But the other thing is, like, there's a kind of, there's a duty, there's an issue of duty about it, because I feel like, like you said earlier, like, you're elected as the last chance. And I think you're right, because if whoever follows you, if you don't change that constitution, we are going to get another dictator. We are going to get another terrible disaster leader. If it's not me, it'll be the next one. So we've got to change that constitution. And yet, how do you change a constitution that has to be um, ratified by the people that the constitution benefits? It's, <laughs> it's, and I, the scene where you're finding out whether or not you did it, I mean, first you have to get it through, I think, the Supreme Court, then you have to get it through the General Assembly, which is roughly equivalent to, um, I suppose, House of Lords and House of Commons in the UK, or Senate and uh, House in the US, or might be the other way around, actually. Um, but that scene where I was finding out whether I was getting it to the assembly, one of the most tense moments like any game, any game Sin, I've ever played. I swear to God, I was playing it alone in my apartment like late at night, and it was like I had done cocaine. Like, <laughs> I was so wired by the end of that scene. And I'm just clicking text windows. And yes, I felt yeah. like I felt like... Like it was a maybe like a World War Two like submarine movie, and the ship is moving through the minefield, and you keep seeing the exterior shots of like just yeah. cruising by the mines. That was how I felt. Did you picture like the Senate House or something? I pictured the House of Commons. I was like, when it described somebody showing up, I was like, I was picturing something walk along one of those benches, and it was like imagining myself standing on the other end of the room, just waiting oh for the votes to it. be counted. This, so tense. This character. Um, there is a historical figure that haunts this game, yeah. and when he emerges from story, it's drama. Oh my, my god! God, I never, I thought I didn't even go after him because a lot of the opponents of changing the constitution think, no, you're just out to get him. No, 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 no. I was like, not an issue. Don't care. Gone. And then he just shows up on this day at this moment and he looks at you and i'm like no 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 there is there is nonsense afoot here i don't like it but it's too late the votes are being counted has he screwed me and it's so good i had no idea what he'd done no idea you know i i ended up first of all i came away from the game being a little more sympathetic to him because by the Mm. end i was like i can see why you were the way you were well the thing is it's interesting because when he starts out i mean like a fair few dictators i suppose he probably was a better option than the Civil War. But, yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, that that is kind of where he's positioned is, yeah, he was an authoritarian. He's also the one who put an end to a Civil War where you had the left and right wings of the military shooting it out uh, in the yeah. streets. And he just kind of steamrolled the entire conflict and suppressed it. And yeah, by the end of the game, I was like, I can understand why a character like Sol would at some point decide, screw it, it's better off if politics stops happening in this country as best as I can. Because right? that's kind of what, he's, what he did. He put he put politics in a bottle. And yes, he was a cork. Yes, yeah. 
Did you did you get a civil war? No, I oh I, I crushed it. Like I oh, like I yes. I was yeah. pretty successful. I was I was very pleased with myself that as well. Actually going back to um an earlier decision, which is much less supportive, you get a decision quite early on about how to allocate your budget and it's I think it's quite well streamlined. I think you get four main areas and you can kind of maintain the budget for them, lower it or increase it. And then depending on which options you choose, you get follow-up scenes with each ministry to elaborate on those decisions. If I remember rightly, you get uh, healthcare, education, military, the military, and I think it's judicial, uh, not, I think it's law and order, essentially. Yes, it is. It's cops. Yes. Yeah. And well, that's the thing. It's... I, is law and order because what if you what I did I get put money into education and uh, law and order, which partly because like of the brewing gang violence, partly because of the terrorism, but also because later on you know, it makes it clear that you it doesn't necessarily mean more cops. It could mean more support for the judiciary or the exec the um, legislative. It could mean. Right. Uh, the courts rather than the courts. Because you are told there's a case backlog that's months yes, long. Yes, yeah. And there's like internal um, administrative reforms rather than legislative ones. That's just as influential as, you know, just guys with boots. Okay, can I, can I say something about that real quick? Yeah, sure. You alluded at the key conversation with Lancia where you didn't, you didn't take the gendarmerie away from him. I mm-hmm. did. Ah, but I hit every turn, and this is one of the reasons I'm really glad I didn't increase budget for Law and Order, because uh, oh. the character of Lilias Groff, who is your Interior Minister, who in mm. this world that basically means a head of security and like um, policing, she was undeniably effective. One of my most effective ministers. Interesting, but also just one of the most ruthless political infighters and like mm. everything, no matter what happened, she seemed to amass resources and have a perfect rationalization for doing it. And so I was just like, I cannot at this top level, I can't throw more money at the police. I understand their issues. And so I like, while every time the gun was put to my head, I generally ended up giving her what she wanted. I was so scared to give her budget uh, <laughs> because I just didn't trust her. Now, you see, I put money into Law and Order, but she didn't get it. <laughs> and I'm not going to say any more than that, because there is an issue around the budget, and one of three characters you've mentioned in the last few minutes, that I stumbled across a subplot, but I don't think you did. And oh my god. It ties in with another thing we've discussed, which I think there's like... You only find out about it if you make at least two decisions in two completely unrelated areas. And that's why I'm fascinated just to read people's accounts of what happened and play it again. And I'm definitely not going to spoil what I'm talking about at the moment because it was one of the best moments in the game. And it was also one of my greatest successes. Oh, <laughs> I okay, cleaned, we'll have to talk about that offline. Uh, I cleaned house. Off. Yeah. Oh I my just, God, I'm so envious. I, Oh, I was so pleased with myself. Like I, and my yeah, my big, big, big moment was definitely passing that constitution. I, I, I think I screamed when I got it. Just narrowly passed it. But on oh, the other see. hand, I took away my own powers. Like my constitution was objectively better 
was like, I was handing away cards. Like, and I think that's how I did it because how can you possibly say, no, so uh, Rain just wants to, you know, seize power. Rain is giving up power. Rain is reducing the power of the presidency. He's balancing the, the assembly with the Supreme Court. This is good government, like black and white. This is an improvement. It's undeniable. And they had to pass. And, but also I had my, I was like working with the opposition openly. You know, we were passing this cross-party legislation. But even that was fascinating because if you choose to work with the opposition and you succeed, uh, there comes a point where the leader, I think Van, I think Van der Horten. Yeah. But he, he, you know, he comes and celebrates with you and says, oh, should we go further? Let's have an alliance. And I said, no. And if you say that, he's like, oh, okay, fair enough. And your advisors correctly note that he's just trying to take credit. If you said yes to that, he'd have taken credit for the whole thing. It's like, yeah, absolutely. It's like, it's a very That's savvy a- game. So I handled that it? very differently. Oh, um, interesting. So he's the, he's the head of the reformers, right? I believe so. Yeah. It was, I can't remember his name, but I think it's Van Horton or Norton or something like that. Yeah, so I think he ended up becoming my new vice president. Oh, I and part of that was because I needed his vote to guarantee. Like I was, I was trying to make sure that vote would be ironclad. Mm. And his only term uh, was he wanted two things: he wanted term limits, which I was happy to give, mm. um, and he wanted to become vice president in my second term. And that seemed like a low price for the number of votes he controlled. And as and Veep the- taught us, vice president is garbage. Pardon? As Veep taught us, being vice president is garbage. Yeah. Anyway. Well, the only thing that made it awkward, of course, is that Petter, your you oldest already- <laughs> friend in the whole world, your best friend, oh. your family friend, your families are intimate. Um, he's your current vice president. Mm-hmm. And the thing that made it hard is because at that moment, it was already clear to me that like he had to go. Like He was a liability. He- I, I'll be honest with you. I didn't like him from day one, which was my only real moment of tension because Rain is like his best buddy. But yeah, that's what I'm saying. No, I mean, yeah, he's, he had to go. There are moments he right. has, he has flashes of like, oh, he, he actually is a very good like political operator. Mm. It's charming. He he's, a good, uh, he's a good vice president because he's a good spokesman. He's a good, good chatter. He's, yeah. Yeah, he's, but he's he is. Charisma. But he's visibly like declining over the course mm. of the game. Mm. Like he has a massive alcohol problem. But that also points to just a growing lack of discipline across the board. And Mm -hmm. yeah, so like by the time this option came along where it's like, hey, do you want to pretty much set in stone that Petter is going to be kicked off uh, the ticket next election? I was like, this is unfortunate because like I wouldn't want to do that. If this were actually my friend, I wouldn't want to do it. Mm -hmm. But I was like, we got to get this guy out of (laughs) here. Oh, the things I do to Petter. You would, I can tell you at least that it could have gone a lot worse for him. <laughs> oh, I don't know. My game, I'm pretty sure he jumped off a bridge. Oh, shite. Oh, okay. Damn. Did, wait, did he not in yours? No. Something quite different happened in my game with him. And the best thing is, it's not um, not even related to the same secret <laughs> I was talking about a few minutes ago. Oh, my God. Okay, yeah. So so yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of mess around Petter. Mm. Yes, um, but I did. Um, 
I think the, narr- the narration even says, although it might depend on your choices, there's quite a lot it does. It even says that the qualities that made him a charming bad boy when we were coming up through the ranks together, there were a lot more sad in a guy in his middle age. Yes. Yeah. That's the other part of it is he is a bro who doesn't realize the party's kind of over. And he's kind of in denial of that. But actually, no, I should I should say. um, So the way things ended up falling apart for Petter in my game is that Mm. there's a huge like sex scandal. Mm. um, Yeah, I had breaks. Oh, that he did in my game. Yeah. Uh, And that happened after the reform. Um, and Petter was implicated in it, but there was a scene afterwards where um, I end up talking to Petter's wife, mm, and I, she points out, like, I was like, "Hey, like, as Rain, it's kind of like, yeah, it's unfortunate, but you know, he still loves you in the family. You know, he had an affair, but like, that's just who he is." And and she's like, "No, hang on, he's had multiple affairs, and they're always mm. in women in like subservient positions to him." Yes. And so the game does like kind of allude to the fact that like frequently when you're dealing with political sex scandals, you're not just dealing with like a romantic entanglement. You're dealing with like potentially much darker, uh, mm. like abuses of power and position. Um, Especially when you consider that this is a state that for the, the last 30 years has been some form of either dictatorship or civil war. It's not a healthy state. It is a state where, it's a super corrupt, abusive state, basically. And whatever your intentions, anyone who is approached by a senior politician uh, is going to be thinking, can I really say no? Really? Because you've no idea what's going to happen if you say yeah. no, even if it's this charming bad boy guy. Well, and also it's like, it's not like this seems like a country where there's tons of positions for ambitious uh, women in professional careers. Mm-hmm. And so like, yeah, like if Petter is behaving this way um, and like implicitly holding like employment out. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's clearly like consent begins to like unravel very quickly in that equation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the game's like not blind to that either uh, where like Petter isn't just a, dissolute uh like fading bad boy he's potentially something worse um Mm. and so like yeah i had already sort of signed his political death warrant um but then when the scandal broke i was like well thank god uh not thank god but you know what i mean like it was like okay i now have extra reason to feel okay about what i did to him what i like as well about that conversation she i can't even remember if she appears earlier in the game but I remember making that phone call because you can just, I think you can just go home. But I made that phone call because I think I just felt sorry for her. I thought shitty position. Not only would Rain probably call her because, you know, they would have had in history. That's his best friend's wife. But also I just felt like, yeah, give her a call. She deserves that much. But what I loved about it is that not only that, but she's resigned to it. She's not like, oh, yeah, he, you know, he's done this before and it's always a bit sketchy. You know, get him. She's just like, that's how it is, shrugging it off. It's, she's obviously, it's make her miserable, but she doesn't expect anything to happen over it. And it's like, that's, that's pretty relatable. It would have been easy to be like, I shall fix this. I, the perfect president. But you can't, you can't, that's just how it is. You can't fix something that pervasive. And yet, this was just like a minor 
scene within a minor scene. Oh, yes. Yeah, see, to a degree, my entire... So, in my game, this thing became so inextricably bound up, bound up with the foreign policy crisis. Oh, see, that's fantastic. Like, it, it, I think it might have even been a huge card that I was able to play uh, to escape some problems with... Uh, in the second half of the game, these ominous rumblings you've been getting from a country to your north, Rumberg, yes. which I described as Arctic Germany... Yes. Um, yeah. Basically, they're described as the one thing we know is they have hard winters. They have a lot of material material resources, and they're fairly recently industrialized and have become a robust military power. Yeah, I I remember you saying that before we started the podcast, and I I loved it because it ties back to the the, whole, the different influences of each country within the game. I read them as closer to Russia, and yet. They had elements, I've seen people describe them as more like China. There's even a hint of Britain in there, in a very yeah. bizarre roundabout way, in, you know, in older times. But they're, yeah, they're definitely the regional power. Like, if they decide to attack someone, that's it. Whoever they attack is probably host. They are the, the big boy of the region, basically. Well, and I kind of ruled them out. I kind of ruled them out as the Russia analog because... There is a so it's it's possible there's three Russias in this game because the other thing is the communist the Bolshevik revolution in this game some version of it happened yes Stalinism happened Stalin is still alive but (laughs) now Khrushchev and the post Stalin uh, like reform of the Soviet Union has also happened and so like. You could read it as Rumberg, the power of the North, is like just Russia's military and industrial potential personified. Mm-hmm. And then you have Stalinist Soviet Union, and then you have the slightly softer Khrushchev-style Soviet Union, both existing in the game, and you can be buddies with either of them. I'm nodding so much. And yeah, I forget there's a, a more explicitly capitalist neighbor who's much less... Um, much less of a presence than Romberg. And there's yeah. a much more overtly uh, USSR alignment. And this is the thing, like, we haven't even, I mean, we can get back to it, but we haven't even talked about how you can't ignore the global context um, as a the leader of this country because this is a regional game, and yet there is no regional conflict during the Cold War. Everything is going to be taken as declaring for or against the side. Everything... Every nation is a potential pawn to these distant specters that are just looking over the whole globe. And here's you trying to stop Petta from sleeping with a random women. <laughs> yeah, um, you mentioned Romberg is like the, the focus of this the second act or second half of the game. How did that go for you? That was really scary. <laughs> um, because as you said, like, it kind of does seem like resistance is futile if they decide to go. Mm. Um, there are alliances you can form, but they all have issues. Um, uh, yeah, your trade partnerships, even even just getting oh, a trade God. deal that should oh, have been a shoe in is God, so fucked. Hard, hard, hard trade offs. Okay, so you have your little buddy nation near north that's like <laughs> an ancient enemy of Rumberg. And they're like, hey, we want to do a trade deal, but also we want to show we're a strong, independent nation who doesn't want <laughs> Sordlon. 
so we want to screw you on these steel tariffs. And I was yes. like, I oh, really, yes. Yeah, really, I was yeah. like, I would really rather you don't. <laughs> but they go for it. They do it. And then they're like, by the way, so since you signed this trade deal, you get an alliance. But the only thing our military is good at is getting its ass kicked by Rumberg in the last like 60 years. So I don't know what that and alliance also, is worth. I think- but then they're like, hey. Yeah. Well, yeah, but then they're like, hey. You don't mind if we just annex this island, do you? <laughs> yes. And create a huge goddamn island. Oh my god! I wanted, I wanted a deal with the other people. They were there's an island yes. to the east of Swordlands. Um, I was so pissed. And your neighbor and a, I would say overseas neighbor, but it's more like a over the other side of the lake neighbor. It's it's a major major shipping shipping route um, in this region in this uh, waterway. And also in the middle of it is an island over which your two neighbors are fighting and it's maddening. <laughs> yeah, it turns out, and then it's like this this little ostensibly inoffensive nation near North that like isn't expansionistic. They mm. sort of annex the island. You're like, okay, that's a little aggro and it's causing some issues. But then there's worries that like they're waging an ethnic cleansing campaign, maybe. Mm. And you don't know because everything's being filtered through propaganda and unclear reports. I'm but like, goddamn press. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm like, that thing fell apart. I also did a trade deal with the um, sort of dictatorial, uh, you know, you describe them as sort of the uh, in game Iraq. That works. They're also a you little bit like. You did that deal, you monster. Oh, I see. Yeah, I sealed my border. <laughs> I was like, "Hey, I'm not going to help you do anything, oh. but I'm going to seal my border." Oh, I um, told them to get 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 to hell. Yeah, but see, I can understand because, especially if you've been through some of the other possible trade deals, and you're like, "Damn, we need it. We need a yes." Well, it gave me it it gave me an extra budget unit that I was able to use mm. to pour into rural healthcare. That's gigantic. Yeah, those, those, and so. Oof. I was able, like, what that money turned into was a rural healthcare expansion program that, like, delivered massive gains in the countryside mm-hmm. and also let me crush it at the re-election. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, like, one of those things where we were sort of kind of accomplices to what were probably war crimes. Mm-hmm. He, he wanted us he, to be more of that. He was like, hey, you you should help us crack down on your side of the border. And I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> um how did that go down with the British population? It went down okay. Because really? I was a I was a friend of the British. They have low expectations as well. <laughs> so God, there's so many I can talk about like literally there is this funeral in the middle of the game for a Blutish national hero, a Blutish Swordish national hero. Mm-hmm. And again, just a moment I could see. And like there's there's so many things about like you're you're given ways to express cultural sensitivities in the context mm-hmm. of Swordland, um, religious sensitivities, uh, the way you close out your speeches uh mm-hmm. sort of says something about like the kind of president you are. And so like I had done a really great job of both making material and symbolic commitments to the Bloods. Like I vetoed mm-hmm. a language bill. Um so it was like, here was the here was the other thing that tipped me over. I had a lot of sympathy for the position the the uh, Bloods were in in Swordland, mm-hmm. yeah. But also that Bloodish terrorist part, that terrorist group, and the Bloodish Nationalist Party were really pissing me off. <laughs> and so I was like, look, 
I can't, I'm not going to go to the mat for this terror group. Like I understand why, why there's a crackdown happening. And so I was kind of like, it was, it was an option with huge upside for me and I could live with the downside at that point. And it was probably from the utilitarian standpoint, the right call. That's the thing. It does tempt you to be utilitarian, even however idealistic you are. I think I feel like you could not go all in probably any of the ideologies. I mean, implying that they're totally distinct ideologies is a bit tough, but I don't think that you could go to an extreme, extreme, extreme without without something giving. Like, I think compromise... I mean, apart from anything else, you have to compromise somewhere to get the legislation passed, to, to get the budget, if not balanced, then at least under control. So I think... Yeah, I say that. I'm trying to think... I don't think I did anything that was that monstrous. <laughs> when I compromised, it was more... Yeah, it was more like I needed to win certain people over. I How did you handle the polio outbreak? Oh, but I... What's the word? Vaccinated. I threw money at that. Solved it. I okay. could not afford it, but I also know that there's no way I'm letting polio devastate like a third of the nation. Not happening. I was annoyed because I'd only just started to claw my budget back, but it was the right call. Uh, so, yeah, for me, it was um, I had those rural me- clinics open. And so uh, I was able to like quarantine contain. And, oh, I did that. Like, yeah. And then, then but I didn't have as good a healthcare uh, setup as you. So I think my only option was probably to just throw money at the vaccine. And um, yeah, people, yeah, the papers I- didn't like it, but you know. People didn't die, so fuck the papers. Yeah, I I was able to. I'm not sure. Like, I was able to ride that out, and I ended up with a fair bit of money to spare uh, to invest in a further expansion of um, uh, regional airport. That's my biggest failing, actually. The economy was bad for me. Um, and that was on me. I I threw money at a fair few problems. And- well. I think, you know, you, you made the point about the game doesn't let you fully commit to any ideology. And I think one of the things that gets at very well is that, um, like, for one thing, I think, I think if I had to say, what is this game's worldview? To an extent, I would say that it argues that competence and good faith in government is probably more important than the specific ideology. Yeah, I actually agree with that. I think that's key to how I succeeded in so many things it was that i i think i i operated the levers like i didn't i didn't believe in the ideology above all i used government and i used my personal contacts to to kind of lean the country towards that ideology and those outcomes but it was about the pragmatic how do we get there who do we talk to how do we how do we bend things that way rather than just faith in it you know yeah. And also you just don't have your country doesn't have any sort of ideological consensus. It mm. isn't ready mm. to commit to any of these options. Like you start to realize like why did the reformers fail? Well, maybe it, it's partly that yeah, taking a functional state bureaucracy and throwing it fully into privatization is going to cause massive disruption and mm. you were probably letting the fox in the hen house. On the other hand, there's just a very simple issue of your country cannot sustain that kind of like hard turn mm-hmm. and for people to just deal with the disruption that inflicts. And the same, I think was kind of true of uh, like 
my own approach to leftism in this game, which was when given the option, I usually did a state controlled or state owned option. Um, but not exclusively. Yeah. I was, I think I did the first one because the first one, the first decision about which do you go for the state owned corporate company or one of, I think two private ones. And I actually regretted to, I went with the state one, but I, I was swayed. It was one of my ministers, I think probably Simon Hall or probably Lucian, pointed out that I'd said in my, um, my, excuse me, my um, first presidential speech that I would, I pledged to stick to a planned economy. And they pointed out, oh, you've got to go with the state company to be consistent with that. So I did. But with hindsight, I probably should have gone with one of the private ones. Um, but I think I did with one of the later decisions. Like, it just seems Funny. like sustainable by that point. I did it with, um, so my approach was I went with one of the private options for the first mm. decision. I chose the company that was like kind of the most innovative, but the least proven. Yes, that's the one I would have gone with. They, yep. I think they're, I don't know if they explicitly are, but they're backed by America. Like they're yes. kind of. Yeah, modern, and they cost twice as much. Like they yes. failed. They they failed. They needed they needed more investment. Ah, and that's interesting. So did the state one, but then the state one you expect to. <laughs> oh yeah. See, for this one, yeah, they also hit a point where they're like, we can't complete this. We need you to invest more money. So I just did. I wonder if you go with the corrupt uh, company mm. if they just require more palm greasing uh, mm. by the end. Maybe you're always going to pay more. Uh, and the second one went very smoothly, and I threw that one to the Swordland. Uh, did you take? Did you take his bribe and then not go with his company? Because I would no. love to do that. I've got to try it. I, then, yeah, I I got right up to the point where he was like trying to offer me the bribe, and I was like, I would pretend you didn't see that. Yeah, um, I was polite. I politely but firmly said no. And I yeah. Um, you've reminded me actually. You mentioned your early infrastructure project was the railway. I went for the the regional highway one. That's and this is the one that like the railway is a kind of I think it links your capital with your second city and it's the one everyone expects it's the obvious one and it's and this is another thing that's interesting about the game you go you're always tempted to buy the utilitarian option whatever your politics because linking these two cities even if you're like a hardcore socialist and you think the regions the outlying regions need more development you can still say yeah but everywhere needs more development and yes. linking these two with a railway will benefit everyone. And it will. It will clearly bring money and trade and opportunity to everyone. It's an objectively good thing. And yet, I ended up going with the regional one because I thought, I think this won't pay out in the short term as much, but in the long term, like decades, it will pay more. And funnily enough, um, later on, it turned out to be useful in negotiating with the Agnolians because they were neighbours to that region and they would benefit from trade there as well. So it all oh, ties in. It's just all ties in in so many little ways. And it, it might even just be flavour text, like an extra sentence or there, but the degree of uh, agency you feel you have, even though you're always reacting rather than uh, acting, you feel very responsible for your decisions in a good and a bad way. Like You feel proud of what you did because there are consequences, good and bad, throughout the game. Yeah. So, so tangent there. <laughs> no, I mean, but spe speaking of like bad consequences, uh, to return to Rumberg, uh, yes, to put yeah. a bow on that, like 
that felt like there were no good options. Basically, this is where the um you start the game as if your political party was a blank slate, Swordland is a blank slate in terms mm. of its position within this Cold War. And Rumberg is the thing that's going to force you to commit in a direction. Mm. Um, because I sort of hit the point where I was like, I don't think I can survive this threat without some outside help. Uh, and oh, yeah. so like, especially because Lancia is pretty frank. He's like, Hey, uh, we should invest more in the military, but in the short term, our military can't win this war. Like, don't, he's like, we have a conscript force that was designed to bolster a dictatorship and what we don't have are modern weapons, um, or modern training. So that war would not go well unless we have a lot of allies. And I just wouldn't make those inroads so the direction things ended up going for me was like in the final third of the game i ended up being pushed into the communist block um i basically had an awesome hangout with stalin with fake stalin (laughs) um and then because i made some choices around an espionage subplot i was able to legitimately like completely own rumberg at the un oh now that's fascinating uh, the un scene is a wonderful scene and i'm i've got to hear how that went but i'm going to tell you how that went for me i never got a visit from the warsaw pack i got a visit from the american president asking me to join nato and i said no thank you i turned him down but i did I did genuinely, genuinely want to say, I think I said, like, not, you know, not now. He said, you know, well, I, you know, it was a really good scene. Like, he was amiable, he was interesting. He said, you know, I'm going to come back and try again, but it wasn't a threat. It was just like, you know, this is this is the reality of it. And I turned it down because I didn't think Sordan was ready to make that decision. Whether we would or not, I don't know. But the reason I was able to do that, and I did have, allies, local allies, like the trade deals and such. By the end of the game, I was allied with Romberg. What? I got a trade deal with them. At the UN, at the UN, I didn't own them at the UN. The Queen of Romberg stood up before the UN, condemned the entire assembly, the entire world, except for me. She's what? picked me and Swordland out. The only true person in all the UN because of what I did. What did you? And I'm, I'm so proud. I'm actually just punching the air. It's so ridiculous that I'm proud of this. But that's how much of an achievement it felt like I turned a looming war into an alliance. It's fantastic. And this is what narrative. I mean, it's fantastic that we both got these wildly different narratives and yet we both probably own them completely. Yeah, that's incredible. Because yeah, mine was a um, we have proof you're working on nuclear on nuclear weapons. What? Oh, so you had nothing like that? Yeah. Wait, so was that I the was S- able to prove at the UN that oh, they were working goodness. on an illicit nuke program, and that brought the entire thing to a halt. Like at that point, mm-hmm. both the communists and uh, the Americans, the fake Americans, oh, everyone wow. was like, absolutely not. And yeah. so, like by the end of that session, that country was like, just diplomatically isolated i think was poised for like economic ruin uh via like just global sanctions oh my goodness and that just was the end of the threat oh yeah that's the end of the threat for you 
Do you think about what you did to the region, though? America and Russia are going to stomp around there with their guns and their tanks. Yee. I love it. I mean, <laughs> uh, look, I just let the I just let the Soviets float a few boats in my harbors. Um, and Rumberg, I don't know my position. Like, so this is so weird because now I feel bad because <laughs> in your world, Rumberg and that queen. Maybe not so bad. Maybe misunderstood. Well, this is this my is read on it was they just need to be put down. <laughs> well, this is the interesting thing. Like, um, like I, I valued that relationship so much, and yet there are there are no saints in the game. Like all of your neighbors and everyone in your government. Well, not everyone, but certainly the key figures. Nobody is. Everyone has blood on their hands to some degree, and I think it carries that off without being cynical about it. I think it's all just real politic. It's all just the facts are that. And it doesn't celebrate it. Like, it's easy for people and for fiction to say, oh, you've got to make hard decisions, you know, and kind of glorify making hard decisions a little yes. bit. But in this, it was more like, sorry, boss, you're going to have to decide and it's going to be unpleasant. And it just felt more, it just felt more like, this is a consequence of just how things are rather than, oh, isn't it terrible that you have to nuke the neighbours? It was much less, I can't think of the word, but it just seems to glorify the crappy side of politics much less than a lot of other words do. Yeah, I think, no, that seems like such an important point because I think term glorifying the, the, the hard decisions or the making of hard decisions, I think that is so true. So often there's a discourse of, Oh, the burden and difficulty mm. of leadership mm. and political power. You don't know what it's like. And it's like, that is true. I don't know what it's like, but off, but like the mere fact that someone is making life and death decisions for millions doesn't valorize that. There's nothing inherent. Like the, like it still matters what you did. I don't yeah. necessarily need to extend a lot of sympathy for the fact that like someone who has spent their lives pursuing political power must at some point wield it. Mm -hmm. But I think there's often in political media, a sense of um, nobility mm -hmm. around that. Like I referenced the wet, the West wing earlier. I think that's probably your best, one of your best examples of it where it's like, yes, we must do unpleasant things and we are, but we are good people mm -hmm. and our inherent goodness means that we should be forgiven for the hard West, things we must do. That's yeah. The West wing in particular, um, Without wishing to go around about it, I've always struggled with it because it's very, very reverent of politicians. Like, it's got to me far too much respect for the idea of a politician and the idea that there is some kind of innate nobility or grandeur to it. Whereas, I mean, sure, I can see where that can be the case, but I don't think that it's innately so, and I don't think those big dramatic decisions are innately righteous like yeah it was a difficult decision but a lot of decisions are difficult you know yeah whereas i think to your point like i think a lot of the times i think part of it is the decisions don't feel grand because yeah. you're making so many of them and they're so little mm. and so they often feel grubby and unclear like was, i don't full, fully know what also, i've chosen sorry no but they're also not dramatized in a way that i think television would just because it's a different medium the timing of them, like there's a there's a very kind of non-traditional timing to the narrative, I think. Like things do gradually build up towards a crescendo and you get lots of time skips to um facilitate that. But 
things don't happen at the most dramatic moment. They just happen at a particular time. And I feel like it would have been easy for the game to just have everything click off at once. But I don't think it ever does. Some things do overlap. Some things do coincide. But it's really just like this endless parade of decisions and decisions and occasional dramas. And it just felt like much... I think a lot of it comes down to pacing. Much more naturally paced in Suzerain. Whereas... TV in particular would tend to make it everything build towards one dramatic crescendo. I don't know. I'm, yeah. I'm not really, I, there's a particular word that I'm struggling to find that will come up, come to me as soon as we finish this conversation. But suzerain is very no, but, understated. I think is the word. Yeah, like, and I would say even yes, there's a UN meeting that was very big at the end of my game. Probably one of the most dramatic things to unfold was the collapse of my political party um mm. that like in the toward the denouement of the game a lot of my erstwhile allies and cabinet ministers this is the part where the choices i've made now people are people know whether they're in or out for the yeah. next election and i started losing people and like one of the people who turned on me uh both lancia and lilias uh were people who turned against me and lilias was a really dramatic scene, but it didn't lead to some sort of Titanic clash. Like it just led to like what they ended up launching was a political, like charge of the light brigade <laughs> against what was a pretty impregnable position. Like it was painful to see them split the party and like realize that my former allies had all turned on me. Uh, but by that point they were charging into the teeth of mm. a, a party that was powered by women voters and rural poor and workers. And like, there was just, there was, yeah, there was nowhere for them to go. And so I was like, yeah, go for it. Like, I, Oh, and I also, also I captured the bourgeoisie cause I, I partnered with the, um, the reformist party. Mm. So like all they had were the solists and a bit of the nationalists. And I was like, yeah. It was sad, but it, it was also like a foregone conclusion the way party party politics sometimes feel, where it's like yeah. it wasn't a close thing. I'm going to say your name homework. that might not mean anything to you, but Change UK in here is this this party that was all over the papers in all of two weeks and got like, like 12 votes nationwide. It was just pathetic. And yeah, it sounds like that happened. Which one was Change? Was that the oh, that was, Corbyn ex-Labour? Essentially, yeah, yeah. But it was... I mean, probably this conversation is the biggest thing to happen to them ever. It was just irrelevant. And yeah, it was, you know, seen as this big dramatic moment. And that happened to you and Suzerain. You know, these two major ministers left a month later. Nobody remembers who they are. Yeah. And there was a But I, bit, I do wonder yeah. if I'd done things differently. Like maybe they would have just gutted me. I, I don't even know. I don't think. Oh, actually, no, I'm not going to talk about those two because something different happened with them in my game. Um, something that did happen, I don't know, when did you back your wife's foray into politics or not? Yes. Okay. Uh, so awkwardly. I was going to say, did you have the speech moment where she gives a speech and someone heckles her? No, it went very ah, differently. Interesting. I'm so, going to say what happened to me just to tie it back to what you were saying about your little charge and light brigade party. Yeah. There's a minor character who pops up in that scene. I think he's like a local mayor. And I like local. I mean, this is a mayor of a, a major city in the country. So he's significant. 
not quite New York, but maybe like I don't know, um, Chicago, maybe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, basically, he starts heckling her, saying, "You know, women should stay in the kitchen, get off the stage, boo." You can react in various ways. I completely humiliated him. I schooled him, and I was thinking he was seen as a something of an upcomer. He was influential, and it felt very much like there is going to be come up with this. He's going to get me back somehow. But I, I, you know, destroyed him in public anyway. But no, by the end of the game, he was just some loser hanging along with the fascists that nobody cared about. And it's like... It was so satisfying. So (laughs) I think you're... uh, Then clearly the game is designed to humiliate him, I think, because Uh, I had told my wife, I was like, sorry, hon, to get this reform bill through, you can't speak at the... You can't speak at the Women's Art Fest. Oh, dear. (laughs) Um, And she was like, this sucks. And I was like, yeah, I know, but that's politics. Love you. And she was like, we're not speaking for a while. I was like, okay, whatever. And she got with the program. But the guy goes up there. So he, the mayor goes up to give the speech. And it's this, like, really pointed snubbing of uh, Mrs. Rain. Mm. And he's just such a dick. (laughs) And... So it turned into a very West Wing moment where, like, I'm just like, fuck it. You know what? I'm taking the mic and I'm just going to read you the riot act right now. Um, And so, yeah, I ended up publicly humiliating him from the from the audience. Uh, He's up there at the lectern and I'm like, no, man, your day is done. Yeah, I love um, I love the irony of that. It's like in my game, he heckles and he gets destroyed. In in yours, you heckle and he gets destroyed. Yeah, and in either way, uh, my wife ended up spearheading the like uh, introduction of suffrage, uh, mm-hmm. and so it it turned into which turned out to be a political boon. Well, I was going to say like we both made different decisions there, and yet. We got different outcomes, but also it wasn't absolute. Like probably your relationship with her suffered a little. I had a different subplot with the mayor, and yet it wasn't like you have to do all of this to get her to go ahead with the thing. It was like there was room for nuance, and I like that. Yeah, I um, yeah. At every point, it felt like the game wasn't just trying to flatter my worldview, mm-hmm. uh, but nor was it trying to it's it's very strange because it feels like a very fair-minded game but it doesn't feel apolitical mm-hmm. which i think is a really hard thing to do like i think short of you coming to it with maybe a really like right-leaning worldview or like center-right worldview i think this is a game that is pretty sympathetic to how people come to their political beliefs, even if it's not necessarily simple, sympathetic to those beliefs themselves. Yeah, definitely. I think very few characters are painted as just like, oh no, this is just a horrible, terrible person. And the ones that I think, certainly I read that way, they generally, um, you don't usually see very much of them. So for all you know, it could be a reason this guy's this horrible, corrupt billionaire. I mean, he's probably just a scummy person, but you don't see enough of them to find out. But yeah, most characters, it's more like, well, I don't agree with this one. Or I even, you know, outright distrust them. But then they they all have a rationale. They all have a reason for behaving the way they do. And that's part of why it works so well as a personal game, not just a political game. Because you're not just saying, oh, okay, this is the fascist, this is the socialist, this is the super capitalist, and countering them on that basis. You're thinking, okay, 
this woman I'm having a meeting with, what are her specific grievances with the way I'm doing things? What are her worries about governance? She asked me questions about the, the judiciary and the assembly. And I, she asked me, why do you want to make this change to the constitution? And I give her a spiel about the balance of power within any government. And I wasn't arguing with an ideology. I was arguing with a person. And I think that's what made the difference, both in my game. And it makes the difference in drawing you into the game. Because it feels like you're interacting with people, even when they are obviously delivering game systems to you. Like they tutorialize by giving you strategy meetings in which, on paper, it might seem stupid for the president to ask, hmm, well, what happens if we privatize this? What happens if we nationalize that? But in a strategy meeting, it makes sense. You lay out the options. You say the obvious. But yeah, it kind of, it just does a lot to deliver gamey things. And simulation things through characters and people, and that makes all the difference. I think, you know, the years early. This came out so late last year that, like, I'm gonna be, probably be talking about it more as a game of 2021. Mm, yeah, uh, it would have been my 20... game of the year, I think. That or post void. <laughs> yeah, I think it's still a strong contender for this year. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. sitting here and I'm like. This has, I mean, we just talked kind of effortlessly for for like over ninety minutes. Yeah. Um. And there, before before you ring off, I'm gonna have a couple of questions for you before you okay. go because there's there's things about <laughs> like for the spoilers. I, I there's some things I need to know. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I I think the the reason I find this so essential is I, I think there's a lot of strategy games that have tried to. You have the Crusader Kings approach of trying to personalize the political but you do that still via creating like systems of personal politics and like mm -hmm. affinity and uh dislike very, and it's still systematized yes exactly yeah. and it's very well systematized like it creates cool narratives but it's still visibly systematized um or you have like political simulators that are very much like they kind of take the worldview of pollsters as gospel where it's like, no, politics follows a somewhat deterministic model where if you just know people's demographics and interests, um, you can, again, systematize politics into a convincing sort of sim. Um, and I've never found those particularly satisfying because I think politics is too contingent. I don't think, I, I, I think it defies that sort of... Um, it, it defies being convincingly reduced to systematized, uh, like to, to systematized models. Yeah, absolutely. That's the key difference. Like, um, probably been my biggest criticisms of Suzerain are that it, it makes inevitable compromises. Like they are, although there's a wide, wide range of possibilities, you are essentially taken from, point A to point Z in the narrative. Exactly what happens along the way can vary, but broadly you're going to have the same stuff every time. You know, you're going to have Rumba, you're going to have the Constitution, you're probably going to have the thing with Petter, you're going to have your stuff with your wife and your son. That's going to happen every time. It's not like a Crusade of Kings or like the political process where anything can happen. Everything is totally random. It, But so yeah, there's limit to the number of kind of replays compared to a fully 
fully kind of dynamic systematized game but the advantage of it is the narrative it does have is much more powerful and that's a necessary compromise they made i think like um i wouldn't have you can have fantastic stories generated out of all kinds of things like crusader kings 3 the perfect example the game built for dynamic stories that to be honest live in your head you you fill in the spaces you create the reasons people are doing things but really numbers bouncing off numbers in the simulation it's it's fantastic fun but it doesn't feel as kind of authentic in the way that suzerain does because in suzerain i made a decision about a person based on the opinion of another person because i liked one more than the other one i wouldn't get that in a game where both of them were just randomly generated number charts yeah and I think it led me to a lot of times in a systems driven game, you're sort of encouraged to think of it as you just need to commit to a path and later mm-hmm. more decisions will open up. There'll be other bonuses that come your way for yes. uh, committing further to a path like games. I think in like generally as an aesthetic, they like to reward yes. consistency. I've complained about RPGs in general, particularly in the last sort of 10 or 12 years, that tend towards giving you, you know, capital C choice, which actually comes down to pick which reward you want. Will you be the evil? Will you be the good? Will you be the, I don't know, will you be the goblin? Will you be the elf? Whatever. Whereas this feels more nuanced and more, yeah, I think when something is so systematized, it's tempting how much, however much of a role-playing kind of game player you are it's tempting to play the numbers it's tempting to play the system in some regards because that's that's the way the game works but when it's very clearly a narrative when you're telling or when you're directing a story you make suboptimal decisions you kind of i think unconsciously lean towards the the kind of indefinable things that drive us to do what we do you just do things on based on intuition and how you think you should act not based on how you think the game will treat it yeah i I think this is why i i ended up pulling back from some decisions that i didn't Mm -hmm. expect and sticking by some people i wouldn't have expected i would stand by and betraying some people i didn't think i would Mm mm-hmm um, but I think the game gave me a good reason for doing all of that. And I think gave it the feeling of not necessarily tragedy. Cause like, I think in terms of like the ending I got, I, I was broadly pretty happy with the ending, but I think there was a lot of tragedy in it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it was a very bittersweet game oh, and yeah. Yeah. that's my favorite flavor. My ending was, oh, my goodness. I feel so embarrassed that this is the first game I'm going to talk about with you, and I'm going to say it made me actually shed tears, which I almost never do at games. I genuinely, at the end, it was this fantastic ending to a story because it was so tragic. It was so bittersweet. My presidency was phenomenal. I did everything, everything I promised the people I would do. I goddamn did it. And on the eve of the election, I was assassinated. And that was, 
fantastic. And I was Got saying, you. I was sad for the family. I was sad for myself. And I was sad for Swordland. This is the thing. Um, this is my only real major criticism of the game. And I believe it's actually been addressed in a patch since. There's a kind of um, epilogue like that summarises how you did after. Yeah. At the time I played it, there wasn't. So I didn't even know who shot me. Oh, my God. Which was So it was like Sopranos ending. It just lights yes. one out. But this is the thing. It was heartbreaking, and I was disappointed. And yet, also, it kind of felt right. Like, hey, I'm dead. I don't know what happened. Could have been... It could have been this faction. It could have been that powerful. But I'm dead. My story's over. Antoine Rain is okay. dead. So... Yeah, my ending um, was rain. Like I cruised to re-election. Um, mm. I shattered the opposition. Um, also, and this was crucial. I think I destroyed the nationalists um, mm. because I had drawn off a lot of their support via. First of all, like I always deployed cultural signifiers. Like always. Um, like there's a there's a recurring phrase like a national salute that. Oh, yeah. You can say in this game, I always did that. Um, I worked with the rural poor. Uh, and so I think the nationalists lost a lot of their constituency. And then I just turned the secret police loose on them. Like <laughs> after the first assassination of a major character, uh, I was like, yeah, I was like, no, we're done here. Um, this party and all their little friends they got to go and so it turned into like i did lead a really repressive crackdown um and also i think i crushed their newspapers um i fully privatized the big media conglomerate because i do not want a murdoch in my country oh i think i accidentally so i meant to um I meant, I think I meant to create something like whatever I intended. I don't know. Like, I didn't expect this to happen, but I think mm. I turned myself into censor in chief <laughs> and I turned the national airwaves into a propaganda uh, vector. Mm. That probably helped my reelection. <laughs> but so I won well, the election and it was, there's this great moment in the swearing in where I thought about all that I accomplished in my second term. And then it, it turns out it was all just a brief daydream <laughs> as he's about to take the uh, he gets this vision of what his future is going to be as he's about to take the oath of office for his second and last term. Yeah. And it was it was a beautiful ending. Um, the, the writing was is like, really I, strong. Sorry. Yeah, but I was kind of sad. I was like, I would have loved to see how these decisions like I had gotten us through so many hard things. I, I felt the second term was going to be a lot of wins. Um, mm -hmm. And maybe there were, th that was the implication, but the important thing was to get through this hard period. Yeah. And it was, it was a phenomenal uh, ending. I think it's such a, I don't know. This game is such an achievement. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the, the writing is fantastic. Like it's very, very clear, very succinct, despite the enormous amount of background detail. I'm not saying it's optioned exactly, but you don't have to delve into all of it. You can skim parts of it and people will brief you on what you need to know. But you are rewarded for reading deeper. But it it's also just, it's very, despite being very long, it's very, um, what succinct is the word, I think. It really just condenses 
conversations down to their core. And it, it knows when to turn up the rhetoric a little bit. It knows when to, to just just kind of encourage you, when to dramatise and when not to. And yeah, the fact that we both got wildly different endings and we both felt incredibly happy with them, even though I got murdered. It's fantastic. Real achievement. And yeah, it's one of the most interesting yeah, things I've played so, years. Yeah, people who are listening um, should definitely check this game out. Like, mm-hmm. I think this is an absolute winner uh it's god it's only like 15 bucks on steam um which like i i had a really good like 14 hours with it or you know 12 hours with it and uh it was just it it, it, the feeling of like reading a really good book um highly recommended uh also like fellow traveler as a publisher seems to be really crushing it yes um, yeah i was looking at their catalog earlier and i was just wow it's banger after banger they're really doing well yeah like it's it's very much like lo, like low-key like low-key annapurna is maybe the way i describe what this publisher <laughs> is they're, they're all they're like i'd say a good half of their catalog which isn't particularly huge it's sizable it's all stuff that, you know, oh, I've heard good things about that. Oh, I've heard good things. And you just go through and think, oh, yeah, and that, and that. And loads of people, yeah, they, they really know how to pick them. Yeah, so it's, I think it's a easy recommendation. Um, you know, it's, it, I don't think it's going to be a politics game that you, like, I like, obviously, this isn't competing with, like, a Hearts of Iron or anything like that. It's not meant to be an open-ended sandbox. But I think in terms of vividness of experience, like, a great story, um, this this gives you one. Uh, and if you played a couple times, maybe maybe a couple great stories. So uh, if you haven't played this, uh, believe me, it might seem like we spoiled a lot. We talked around a lot. There's entire subplots we didn't get into. Um, this is a big game. Uh, and so I... I, I think it's definitely worth checking out and I hope you do. I think it'll be coming up um, certainly probably on my year end lists uh, as one of my favorite experiences. Uh, so hope you all check it out. Um, I think that will do it for this week and we hope you've enjoyed the show. Uh, Three Moves Ahead is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Uh, Sin, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I am curious. Like, is there anything that you want to like plug, or any project that you're pursuing, or is there anything else that you're playing that people should should be hip to? Um, oh goodness, you really have put me on the spot now. No, nothing immediately. We've got a few things on the horizon, but they'll come when they come. But I am a bit obsessed with Kenshi lately. A couple of years old now, but um, it's a game that you live rather than play, which is exactly what I've needed for the last few weeks. I um this has been a game that I've been sort of fascinated with from afar, uh, because it does seem one of those giant inscrutable mm-hmm. RPG type games, it looks like. Um There are I it's definitely got big, big uh, sim management elements, uh where you can largely ignore those if you want. Potentially one we could talk about in the future. Yeah, I would I would love to. Um as soon as or maybe more accurately. I would love to get you and a couple other people who've played it maybe mm. to do a show on it because I suspect I will not ever find the time to uh, <laughs> it is dig a, into it. A big, especially big because game. the pictures you and Nat Clayton, I think, have yes, been posting. And, uh, and like I don't I don't think I share your love of swamps. <laughs> I, I, mean, I, I, like, I that looks very brown and dingy. Yes, I I uh, I listeners, I've been 
tweeting obsessively about the swamps, which is a region in Kenshi. And I, I don't even know why or where it came from, but I am now obsessed with swamps because it's this ugly, murky, terrible place full of murder and spiders that eat you. And I love it. I absolutely love it. I'm never going to leave. Uh, all right. So, yeah, give give Kenshi a try and maybe you'll you'll hear us chatting about it uh on 3ma sometime before too long uh through head is supported by listeners just like you on patreon uh you can learn more at patreon.com slash 3ma uh anyway we'll be back with another episode uh i think next week until then for sin this is rob zachney saying good night good night